This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have something that's a little interesting. We'll call it a little historic tidbit. Uh, this is a closed-circuit broadcast from CBS, which went out to its member stations, but not the general public. During the broadcast, U.S. government officials answer questions posed by local stations and discuss information about the war and the need for censorship of that information. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering your financial support. Your donations help us to continue to produce the podcast, and thanks to those of you who have already donated. So thanks for listening, and enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. We present the third closed-circuit broadcast arranged as a special wartime service to station operators, newsmen, and commentators. The speaker will be introduced by Mr. William Lewis of the Office of Facts and Figures. And now, here's Mr. Lewis. Once again, for Mr. McLeish and the Office of Facts and Figures, I want to thank you for your constructive response to our last closed-circuit broadcast and for your continuing interest in these get-togethers with officers from the different departments down here. Two weeks ago, Captain Leland Lovett of the Navy Department answered some of the more frequent questions about the Navy, which commentators and radio newsmen around the country had been asking. Today, we're going to to attempt to do things a little differently. These are supposed to be real, off-the-record talks, and we want you to feel that no punches are being pulled, although we must avoid discussion of information which could give aid or comfort to the enemy. Short of that, however, we mean today to open the door as wide as we can. Our speaker is Major General A.D. Searles, Director of Public Relations of the United States Army. General Searles already has a lot of questions which have been submitted by various commentators and radio newsmen. But in answering them, we've asked him if he won't also tell you some of the big overall problems which are facing his office. The questions will be put to him by Paul Schubert and John W. Vandercook. So now I'd like to call in General Searles, who will speak from New York. Those of you who have studied military science know that battles are won by secrecy and surprise. If this were the only principle of modern warfare, you gentlemen of the press and radio would be out of business in the morning. I believe most of you know that the War Department is fully aware of the need and desirability of a steady flow of truthful war information. The problem is and always will be, how can we have a well-informed public and an uninformed enemy? You answer that one and I'll get out the guard and pin a medal on you. This is a problem which my friend Byron Price, the censor, and the War Department seek to solve every day of the war. I'm sure we'll lick it. When a democracy goes to war, there must always be a great pull and tug in its effort to give its citizens the news they want to hear, and to keep from the enemy the news he would give his right eye to learn. Until recently, we made the job easy for him. All he had to do was to buy a clipping service or tune in his radio, and he had a blueprint of our industrial capacity, our military strength, the weather, and what soldiers had for breakfast. What we gave, and in some cases still give the enemy free, costs us the lives of American soldiers and sailors and vitally needed equipment. We realize full well that the public...
public has a right to know of the dispositions and whereabouts of its sons. But at the same time, the public has a right to expect us to provide safe convoy as they proceed to the field of battle. Many men today lie at the bottom of the Atlantic because of some, some thoughtless word in print, over the air, or over a bar. I believe it was Ed Murrow who, after his return from England, publicly stated that as a war correspondent, he would not want the responsibility of broadcasting news without the safeguard of censorship. The responsibility for human life is too great for one man to assume. There are too many opportunities in this worldwide war to unwittingly give the enemy the last jigsaw in the puzzle he's trying to solve. And one innocent-looking story may be the key to the whole thing. What appears a minor incident in one part of the world can be highly significant news in other theaters of operation. Hence, we are super cautious. Since the attack on December 7th, the public has been given the news, bad as it, is, it has been in some instances. When it was no longer valuable news to the enemy, that policy will continue. We do not ask a moratorium of criticism. Constructive criticism is always welcome. Without in the least suggesting any relaxation of such criticism, I do want to point out how the Army is often defenseless against well-meaning campaigns. Not long ago, everyone was calling us names because we did not get General MacArthur out of the Philippines. More damaging than what was spoken were the things whispered. We could not raise a hand to stay the ugly rumor. Now you know the reason. The same holds true in many instances when we are criticized for not doing things which may be secretly already underway or for which there may be good reasons, making such action impossible. But you can understand, we cannot always so inform our critics. To do so would be to inform our enemies as well. So in the future, we submit our record of the past and ask when such incidents and arguments arise, you rem remember the MacArthur incident and place your confidence in the Army. We will try to merit it. First, to identify myself, this is Vandercook. Now, now the first question. There has been some complaint that the Army is slow to release certain information on local domestic activities. By that, I mean such operations as the location of a new Army camp or similar activity, which is naturally of much interest to the locality involved. I can easily understand the keen local interest in such events. Knowing this, we try to release this sort of news just as soon as a final decision has been reached. But sometimes you fellows want to jump the gun on us. What you sometimes fail to realize that in every instance where such a project is planned, a number of sites are considered. It's impossible to keep an absolute secret of such plans all the time. But it's important not to let the cat out of the bag until the deal is all settled. You know as well as I that not everyone who is interested in that camp being located near their town is moved by civic pride. They'd like to get advanced information and make capital on it. This is Schubert with a second question. General Thurl, if Washington, New York, or some other American city were bombed, what limitations, if any, would be advisable on the contemporary reporting of this attack? I'm afraid the limitations would be mandatory rather than, than advisable. It would be a little bit late, then, for us to be handing out advice. The limitations imposed would be more restrictive on radio than on the press. You've got to remember that those enemy planes are equipped with radio, and submarines offshore would also be tuned in to those contemporary radio reports. So there could be no promiscuous reporting of the damage done in such raids. At least, we'd make the enemy come see for himself, find out how effective he had been. Uh, General, has any form of liaison been worked out between the Army and Navy on censorship problems, which would be involved in air raid alarms along U.S. coastal areas? The Navy is not directly concerned in such cases, but the Army is working out such plans 
with the Office of Censorship. You'll get your instructions directly from the Office of Censorship. Is it feasible, General, to announce the trans-ocean landing of American forces as soon as the landings are effected? In some cases, it might be. But in most cases, the Army would not be willing to make such announcement when the troops first landed. For instance, when our troops first disembarked in Northern Ireland and in Australia, they were not at all safe from enemy air attacks. Not until they had all their heavy equipment unloaded and had established themselves at their encampment were they reasonably safe. Then there's another reason for delay. There might well be other convoys still out in the ocean. The enemy would be certain to hunt them. Moreover, you must remember that naval units which have convoyed the troop ships across must also be protected. Immediate announcement of the landing would place them in grave jeopardy. In that connection, is there anything to be lost by giving public currency to reports or rumors of the movement of enemy forces? That's a tough question. I'll have to know what the rumor was and what its source. First of all, I presume any newsman would qualify the source of such a rumor. I don't think any responsible newsman would report rumors which he might have gained from army sources unless that information had been definitely released for publication. By gaining such information and intimating that it came from official or semi-official quarters, that news might, man might well give comfort to the enemy. In regard to rumors of enemy movements of another kind, reports or rumors of enemy attacks on our mainland, the answer is definitely not to use anything except that which is released officially. In such instances, you will be given the news in due time by official sources. To publish false reports would be to create needless alarm. What would you suggest, uh, General Thurles, if an Italian radio station, for example, should announce the sinking of an American troop ship and it was not yet confirmed by American authorities? To repeat such enemy claims is to serve his purpose, not ours. The odds are very much against the enemy being at all certain. Remember how many times the Axis sank the Ark Royal before it really went down. They'd like to force us to tell them what they did or what did not succeed. We insist on making them find out for themselves, and until they do, no announcement can be made one way or another. Speaking generally on enemy claims, it's well to remember that they are made with the purpose of spreading indecision, doubt, and division here. They are a weapon our enemy aims at us. To use these claims inadvisedly is to turn his weapon against your country. I think I mentioned earlier, the Army has not held back any of the ugly facts. We won't hide any of the truth, good or bad. But neither will we be smoked out by enemy claims to reveal our hand when such revelations give aid to the enemy. We feel the Army should be in a position of being believed when it speaks of military matters. We don't feel that we, sh we should have to contradict lies the enemy may have spread in our land. There are periodical popular demands for this and that military operation. For instance, there is a demand now for an immediate offensive. Is there any way by which an out-of-town newsman may inform himself as to the wisdom of such demands and as to the prevailing army attitude thereon? Every good fighting soldier, and that means every American soldier, wants to be take the offensive. This demand for an offensive, you know, doesn't originate outside the army. We want to take the offensive, and we will when we are ready. I don't think anyone should attempt to predict military operations unless he has access to pretty complete information. I can tell you no good general would go into a campaign without knowing all there was to know about his own troops and equipment, all about the country, the climate for the campaign, and all he could find out about the enemy, his position, strength, equipment, supplies, and so forth. Even then, the general would never be sure. There would be many unpredictable factors. So I can sympathize with those removed from Washington who have the task of predicting military action. The most practical suggestion I can offer 
is for the radio and newspapers to make good and frequent use of their Washington correspondence. Now, General, have you anything to tell us in conclusion? I'd like you to remember one thing. This war is on four continents. Few people know what that means. Until we appreciate the magnitude of so-called global warfare, we will have no comprehension of the tremendous job facing our armed forces and ourselves back home at well. And finally, let me say this. We can't buy our way out. We can't produce our way out. We've got to fight our way out to win. Help us to do it. We can do our job as long as you keep doing yours. Thank you very much, General Farrell. Our time is up now. Bill Lewis, do you have anything else for us? Just a few words more, Paul. But first, thanks to all of you up there in New York, to you, General Searles, and to you, John W. Vandercook and Paul Schubert. Copies of this broadcast will be mailed to all stations, but they are for your confidential use only, not for publication. And now I'd like to ask once more that all station managers and program builders follow the This Is War series closely, not to judge them as programs, but to get material for programs of your own which follow the six themes we have been reiterating. It's terribly important that we get them all across. The issue of why we fight, the nature of the enemy, the United Nations, production, sacrifice, and our fighting forces. I hope you'll listen to tonight's program on work and production. It will give you ideas for programs of your own, done your own way and in your own words. As to future closed circuit broadcasts, I'm sorry we can't give you an exact schedule. From time to time, as important messages come up, we will ask again for the cooperation of the networks. There may be an important one in April with a high government official speaking. We will let you know about it as quickly as we can. Shortly thereafter, I will probably talk to you concerning the radio coordination plan, which we hope will be in your hands about the middle of April. Until later then, goodbye and thanks for your help and kind words. These broadcasts of closed circuit speeches from Washington are for your own edification and not for broadcast purposes, and are aired at intervals so as to acquaint you with the government's efforts to bring you the news uncensored, as well as all information which you should have to supplement the regular dispatches which are disseminated to the public. As has been pointed out by Mr. Lewis, these talks form no particular schedule. However, you will be notified sufficiently in advance of future broadcasts of this nature. Remember, too, that copies of the talk today will be supplied for your confidential information and will be mailed to you shortly. This closed-circuit broadcast has been a presentation of the Columbia Broadcasting System.